Hi guys, my name is Frank Chaparro, Senior Correspondent at The Block. You might know me as Frankie Scoops or Fintech Frank, but hopefully now you'll get to know me as the host of The Block's new podcast called The Scoop, made especially for decision makers and thrill seekers in the crypto market. Each week, I, along with one of my cohorts here at The Block, will talk with CEOs, innovators, and builders across the crypto market. I'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Cash App. Cash App has been the number one finance app in the App Store for almost two years. It was also the first major peer-to-peer payments app to start supporting Bitcoin, and it's still the fastest and easiest way to on-ramp fiat. No more waiting five days for your ACH payments to come through. With Cash App, you can buy Bitcoin instantly. It's also a favorite of the block analyst, Steven Zhang. He uses Cash App when he goes to Chipotle and gets money back. He saves every time he eats a burrito. That keeps Steven happy, that keeps the block happy, and that keeps the crypto world informed with the best news and research in the entire market. You can also use it at Lyft, Whole Foods, Chipotle, as I said, Chick-fil-A, Starbucks, and Dunkin' Donuts. Download Cash App today from the App Store or Google Play. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, thanks for tuning in to The Scoop, the Block's weekly podcast for crypto decision makers and thrill seekers. We have a very special episode today. It's our first phone interview session, but it's also our first international one. I'm joined by my colleague, Larry Cermak, his first time on the show. He's joining us from Frankfurt, Germany. And then we have Robert Jan de Haan, which I practice ad nauseum before we went online. And he is also a journalist like myself, prolific writer on all things Bitfinex, Tether, and crypto. And he's going to join us today to unpack the very interesting situation over there at that company. For folks who don't know, if you're living under a rock or have been on holiday for over a month, Bitfinex and Tether. $850 million. We don't know if it's seized, locked up, but they they basically have covered up uh, using a line of credit from Tether, Bitfinex, that that this money, which was being held by crypto capital, nobody knows the full situation. But if anyone's going to explain it, it's going to be Robert, and we're happy to have him on the show. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. So, Robert, tell us, walk us through, you know, for folks who... People ask me all the time, like, what is the latest? And it seems like every day there's a new development that makes answering that question all the more difficult. But let's try to do it anyway. Um, What's the latest with Tether and Bitfinex? Well, the very latest is that we know that Bitfinex is doing an initial exchange offering. They're going to offer exchange tokens, uh, the LEO tokens. And um, what we know is that it's, uh, yeah, directly tied to this 850 million that they're missing. Um, the, the white paper that was released yesterday even mentions uh, like uh, if, if the money uh, that's tied up with crypto capital is released within the next, I believe, 18 months, that they hold the right to buy back, uh, I believe, uh, 90% of the tokens, uh, of the LEO tokens that they're about to, to issue. Um, so it's really their way of of getting uh, getting the getting access to funds that they're currently missing. Um, 
yeah, although I, I wrote yesterday in, in one of the articles, Sparkplus, that uh, at the blog, that uh, it really looks like they're they're doing this initial exchange offering to uh, eliminate this line of credit that they're getting from Tether. Uh, they're drawing on the Tether reserves, basically, to keep Bitfinex's operations going. And that's the big thing, right? At the center of this New York Attorney General uh, court order is that they commingled funds, right, between the two companies. And if they can sort of remedy that by raising this money, could they be off the hook? Well, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, so I, I can't say for sure, but uh, it, will, it will sort of eliminate an argument uh, by the New York uh, Attorney General. But at the same time, this lawsuit is already going and the subpoenas have been sent out and the court has now determined, uh, I believe two days ago, three days ago, that they have to comply with the subpoenas for uh, for information, which which is much wider than just this line of credit, and they also ask for, for example, the compensation structure of the of the shareholders of Bitfinex. So, I don't think it's going to go away, but it will uh, for sure uh, make things easier. I would say. How have you been able to develop the sourcing, or the the how have you been able to get inside this company? I mean, you were explaining to me before we jumped on how you fell down the rabbit hole a year ago while at the same time doing university research. How were you able to become such a prolific writer on this topic? Um, so, yeah, indeed, it, this, it this started sort of like a year ago. And uh, back then... Um, yeah, I was I was also contributing to to stories uh, in other media. For example, with Bloomberg, uh, I was working on an article that uh, in the end confirmed uh, the Noble connection to Tether, and uh, that the the funds were stored at Noble Bank, uh, and that already already made mention of crypto capital because I was really looking in in that angle, like what is this relation there with Bitfinex? Um, I couldn't quite quite get to it at the time and we even tried with some uh, Bloomberg uh, correspondence in uh, in different countries to to get it uh, correct but it was very difficult to determine what was really going on um, and from there on uh, yeah I just I just looked further and the only way to uh, to get further in that is to get sourcing and in this case we're talking about sourcing in in terms of Bitfinex or crypto client uh, crypto capital customers uh, to figure out uh, where this money, their money is going, how crypto capital is doing the, the processing. So that, so that's that's really where where it started. Like, okay, we need some, we need new information to to be able to tie things together and see see where this is, uh, where this this money is basically going and how they're operating this way, or actually how they're operating at all. To be fair, I remember when the block first got started and Larry had come on board. This was actually like where we kind of stuck our flag into the ground of, of crypto reporting. We started, and, and it was strange to me at the time. I remember Larry, you know, I would come online at 7 a.m. Larry would be up for five hours and he'd break this story that Bitfinex was, you know, is now banking with, um, I think it was Deltic Bank at the time. And then oh, it's HSBC. And then HSBC. And through um, global trading solutions, right? Which, and at the time, I was like, "Why? Why, why is this important?" But now, in hindsight, we can see that the writing was on the wall. And anyone who's watched this market knows that Bitfinex has had banking problems, and that's kind of part of their argument that the reason why they're in this situation in the first place is because no one wants to bank with them. Um, 
Yeah, and, and to be to be fair, there is a there is an argument to be made that that is that is also true. Like, I mean, in general, uh, the cryptocurrencies still have an, uh, a reputation in relation to money laundering. So banks do not really want to service companies relating uh, working in the cryptocurrency industry still. Um, I, I remember, for example, also in a, a tweet, I think from Mike, Mike Dudas, about that uh, a bank refused uh, banking for the block because they were doing something with cryptocurrencies, even though it's just a, a, a media. Um, but the other issue, the, main, the bigger issue here is that if you think about it, a, a crypto exchange, there's, go, there's a lot of money going in and going out, right? Uh, so that puts quite a heavy burden on the compliance department uh, of, of a bank uh, and also of a correspondent bank. And they have to track uh, where is this money coming from, where is it going, and especially since it's from a cryptocurrency exchange, then where is this money coming from is, is not an easy question to answer. So then it becomes sort of a cost-benefit analysis, like, is this really worth it? So that's that's one of the, it's a sincere issue in the industry, I would say. But per your reporting, right, the the line of credit from Tether, that was plan B. They, they kind of were thinking about doing this IEO for a while, right? Oh, well, I... Personally, I think this uh, initial exchange offering is really like initiated now because of this lawsuit, right? They need to. This, this is sort of the the first move was made on the chessboard by the New York. Well, one of the moves at least was made by the New York Attorney General's office, and this is their counter move, a follow up. Um, but um, so I don't, I'm not sure if this this tether line of credit was uh, not necessarily, I would say, a plan B in that sense. But it was sort of their uh, immediate solution to the problem. Like, okay, we, we just don't have dollars, but we do have a bank account with a lot of dollars sitting there. Mm-hmm. But it's not Bitfinex's money. It's not even Tether's money. It's in their accounts, but it's there to back Tether's mm-hmm. tokens. I mean, this is not how this money is supposed to be used. So, but, yeah, go ahead, Larry. And on top of that, you know, there's also the issue of not even signing the contract uh, with uh with crypto capital, um, that was one one issue that really uh, struck me, and I think Robert feels the same way. Uh, is that you know there was no formal contract between Bitfinex and crypto capital, um, which, if you think about it, is is just insane. Uh, if you if you read the uh, the affidavit by affidavit by uh, Stuart Hockner, he writes that they entrusted crypto capital with over a billion dollars, I believe, in in just two thousand eighteen. I mean, and then you and then you have no contract in place. Let's break That's down real insane. quick. Let's break down real quick for the listeners what exactly crypto capital was doing on behalf of of Bitfinex. So you know they're a payments processor. My understanding is they're kind of sitting in between um, the folks that are making transactions with Bitfinex to sort of mm-hmm. um, so that they don't cut them off um, because they're a crypto firm. Or, That's what they or a crypto should be exchange, doing. yeah. And so, how as does, how does it work? That, so, as a payment processor, that's what you should be doing—just processing money. Going, it comes in and it goes out, right? Um, but what happened in in uh, in early 2017 is that's when Bitfinex really got into trouble with the banking. Uh, Wells Fargo was no longer willing to to operate as a correspondent bank for them, and also not for Tether. Uh, so that really put them in a jam because they had no way to facilitate the fiat deposits and withdrawal processing. So that's when crypto capital became very instrumental for them. So they were already dealing with them since 2015, but now they be- it became a way for them for so for one 
they, they became the main entity processing their withdrawals or, and deposits. But at the same time, they also became uh, a shadow bank, uh, sort of. Um, we know this term now also used uh, has also been used in an indictment recently unsealed. It's very related. I'm sure we'll be talking about that as well. Um, but the shadow bank idea is that they were they were provided with bank accounts under control of crypto capital, but in practice they were uh, yeah basically allocated to to Bitfinex. So one of the things that I came across uh, was a document signed by the compliance officer of, uh, of crypto capital, and that that actually spelled this type of uh, operations out, right? So it said that uh, Ifinex Inc. is a is a valued customer at our financial institution and then listing an uh, account number uh, and funding instructions, but that funding instructions was in a Polish bank. And that's the, and, and all of this was going on between these two firms without a contract at all. There was no contract. Apparently so. Apparently so. Which yeah. is... I mean, what do you talk to folks in the industry about that and, and what that might mean? I mean, that to me sounds insane. Why do you think they would do something like that? Uh, I, I just don't have an answer to that. So what I do know, and, and there was, this was sort of as a joke to me before by, by a source. They said like, uh, this, this person said like, um, um, maybe, maybe they signed, I agree with the terms of service. And they just clicked it. Mm-hmm. So at first, this, that's uh, it was a really nice joke, but then um, I've gained some understanding of how the crypto capital platform works. Maybe because you can yeah, basically let's, open let's, like exchange yeah, let's, accounts. Let's, let's let's dig into what crypto capital is doing right now. Like, has anyone reached out to them? Is anyone talking to them? Are there executives talking? Um, how are they responding to all of this? Um, and basically, not. There, there's no <laughs> word. Um, Who are these people behind this 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 company? Uh, that's also a good question. So, Crypto Capital uh, was was incorporated in uh, in Panama, and we have some names linked to uh, to that company there. Um, the the main one, the known is Ivan uh, Manuel Molina Lee or Ivan Molina, and there's another name which we more or less know. For sure that he's connected which is oz joseph or ozzy joseph uh, and there are a few more names but we don't really know where they are even and uh, if they're really uh still working on the company or not because the main issue here is that crypto capital as a company at least got dissolved uh in june of last year and since then then they say uh, the website claims that it's been that's operated under a swiss company which is called global trade solutions mm-hmm um and that that's yeah that's uh, another payment processor um it does have a license to do that but um as far as the license uh, which have also obtained along the way it doesn't really specify this type of shadow banking either so they're still it's still in a gray area of, of what this company is doing and whether or not that's uh, allowed even what I think is also interesting to mention here is that you know a lot a lot of uh, legitimate exchanges actually used crypto capital early on. Um, Kraken used it. I think Binance and Bitmex as well. Um, so early on, it was you know one of the few options that would actually provide the exchanges with banking. But as banking became a little bit easier to get, and you know banks like uh, smaller banks in the U.S. started supporting crypto companies they kind of faded away from that and they went from crypto capital to 
smaller uh, banks that were actually willing to bank crypto customers. Yeah, Silvergate's um, one of the big ones. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so for, for many exchanges, like uh, it's still difficult to uh, to get banking partners. But if you look at the larger exchanges, uh, especially the ones uh, that are, that are uh, complying with regulations and regulators, the, they have banking and it's been relatively stable. Eh? There are some exemptions. Liberty Bit had, a, had an issue not too long ago, but uh, I'm not 100% sure if it was. I might be mistaken that it's not Bitsam. But um, if you look at um, there's not really an exchange that really relies on crypto capital or relied on crypto capital the way BitFinex did. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. That is the big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were holding funds for them and not just customer funds. It was also their own fund, according to the filing by uh, in the New York Attorney General's uh, lawsuit. How do you expect this all to shake out? I mean, I think Larry Larry's under the impression that they'll be insolvent in a couple months. Uh, I think I don't want to speak for I mean it's possible but um, yeah it's 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 a, it's like uh, asking the magic eight ball mm-hmm. yeah. um, but if you look at um, so we have we haven't talked yet about this uh, indictment by the Southern District of New York relating to Reginald Fowler and uh, Ravid Joseph that's a whole different chapter in this saga uh, yes yes for sure but it's 100% related but if you read, uh, if you read the uh, the indictment, there's there's a line in there, and uh, I don't have it right in front of me uh, here, but it says that the, basically Fowler and uh, the people or associated with with him uh, or the entity associated with him failed to return um, money to a client, basically the eight hundred fifty million. So it's it's a direct reference to Bitfinex. Um, and if you, if you also look at the press conference uh, related to the indictment, it says like um, uh, Fowler um, had an account at Bank One, which we know is HSBC, and uh, failed to return money to Exchange One, which we now we know is Bitfinex. Um, but it really this this one line does a lot of work in to say like uh, Fowler is not alone in this. So there is more people uh, involved, not not probably not in the US. And we can we could speculate on where they are, but um, this is not over. Yeah, and uh, just just to clarify my position, I I do not think that they'll be insolvent soon. I think that they could be, uh, but don't get me wrong. I mean, this could take from months to years. Uh, this by no means is going to be immediate. Uh, what I do think is that uh, the chance of them uh, going insolvent, and the chance of them getting, um, you know, really seriously affected affected by the regulators is now the highest it's ever been and they will be under a microscope right now um so that's why i am skeptical uh, and i think uh, there's more to follow i am 100 gonna agree that there's more to follow uh and they will for sure be under like a magnifying glass whether or not that will result in anything that, at least publicly for a while and it might be that it will take indeed a very long while for sure, we for sure this eight hundred fifty million. It's gonna take a while before that's that's like either released if the full amount is re, is uh, returned, basically. Um, but it might be that there's a, a portion or even large portion that's that's not gonna be returned to Bitfinex. What I'm also curious about is, and this is a question for Robert. Um, 
you know, why do you think that the U.S. regulators have been the most active in this case? Um, I kind of wondered, um, you know, the company is based, it's not based in the U.S., it's, and it doesn't really even serve the U.S. customers. So why, are, uh, why aren't other regulators getting involved, like uh, regulators in Hong Kong, uh, regulators somewhere else? Yeah, so um, why, why others are not involved? Yeah. I, I cannot really answer that. I don't have a good answer for that. I mean, um, for sure it might be, but I'm, I'm really speculating here is that uh, business having business somewhere is good, right? So uh, why disturb a business? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it raises uh, taxes, it raises money for the government. So, but but I'm, that's just pure speculation. But what I would like to talk about is more why is the is the are the U.S. authorities stepping in here? So. There's, in my opinion, at least two reasons. One, the New York State has been quite taking the lead in that uh, in relation to cryptocurrency uh, uh, regulations. Or, and it also inquired with, I think, 13 exchanges last year with a big uh, questionnaire of getting information like, who are you serving? How are you uh, handling things? So that's, uh, so that's one. But the other one is that if you read the, um, the New York Attorney General's lawsuit, then it shows that Bitfinex learned of an investigation by the uh, in New York, uh, and that they then contacted the uh, the office. Now we don't know 100% sure, but this Fowler indictment uh, relating to a, an American company, Global Trading Solutions, so not the same as the Swiss one. It's trading versus trade. Um, that's an American company, and. Uh, we know that accounts were seized from the indictment in, in October, and Bitfinex made contacts in November, right? So if you follow the timeline, then for, for one, they must have known that this account that they used in name of uh, or in control of Mr. Fowler uh, had been seized, and uh, and since they contacted the U.S. authorities, it might have been just uh, initially that they uh, uh, that this connection or this that they were starting to to talk to each other was initiated back then. Um, how that relates to the to the office actually investigating Bitfinex and Tether itself, then I'm not 100 percent sure on. One thing that that's interesting to me, and and I don't we haven't brought it up, but the fact that Bitfinex finally revealed that only 74 percent of these tethers had one to one dollar backing, and yeah. the market cap. I mean, it's taken a small hit, but. It's still being very widely used, especially in Asia. Some stable coins have picked up some market share. This mm-hmm. is this is like the basic thing, right? This is what a one-to-one dollar-pegged stable coin is supposed to do: is be backed by dollars in the bank. And it, for a long time, it was speculated that that wasn't the case for Tether. We actually find out that that's not the case. Bitfinex says it's not the case. And still, most of the people I talk to and, and most of the larger trading firms, especially in Asia, are still trading with this thing. I mean, what's, what's the deal behind that? So what, what is really the alternative, though? I mean, especially if you're trading in Asia, uh, a lot of the exchanges, and if you want to have access to dollars or something, do, how do you get it? Um, is there a good alternative? So... That that's, I think that, that that's at least one main reason. And then there uh, there are probably a lot of different other reasons. Like some, is it very easy for uh, for people to to get out of Tether because 
you need to now uh, redeem it with Tether. And there's, I don't know how many people, uh, or, or mostly it will be uh, corporation companies, uh, can actually do that. But I think it's quite limited. And then um, if arbitrage traded between exchanges, it's also, uh, um, yeah, they can make money if there's a larger spread. So there's all kinds of, of minor reasons that might be the case, but I would be speculating mm-hmm. beyond that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's definitely interesting. You know, if we look at uh, the premiums, I think that's very indicative of, of the market right now. Uh, so you know, there's a tether pre- premium, which hasn't really gone uh, to much larger than 2%. Um, and right now, I think it's it's actually below 1%. So that means that you know the market is actually fairly confident in, in Tether at the moment. Uh, now, the, the larger premium is, is the Bitfinex premium, uh, which is a premium on USD on Bitfinex. And that has been um, the first week after um, everything started happening, that has been over 6%. Now that's fallen to about, I think, 35 to 4%. And what that means is that um, basically people are now, um, they think that it's more risky to store money on Bitfinex than it, it is to just store tethers. So the, pr- the premium on Bitfinex basically means that the traders would much rather hold anything else than USD on Bitfinex because they don't trust it. So they would much rather go from USD to Bitcoin, for example, which then creates a higher price of Bitcoin and pushes the premium up uh, because they, they're not confident that they can get uh, USD um, out of Bitfinex because the withdrawals take a long time. There's a lot of uncertainty. So they would much rather convert to a different cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or Ethereum and then send that to a different exchange or wallet. Uh, so that's kind of causing that premium. Uh, and what that tells us is that, uh, in, you know, Traders are viewing the risk of Bitfinex higher than they're viewing the risk of Tether. Yeah, and if you think about it, in uh, Bitfinex um, uh, later late last year, so I'm thinking uh, this is like October, November, they had a lot of uh, problems processing withdrawals, right? And there were huge delays. People were not receiving their money. And, and from the sourcing that I have, I can confirm that, that indeed uh, people did not receive their money. Um and if you look at the back then, then Bitfinex had a premium, but Tether also had a premium. But then back then, the USD uh, and Tether were still linked one to one on Bitfinex. So I think they separated in November, if I'm not mistaken, that they reopened Tether uh, redemptions directly from Tether. Um, so you you see the same type of reaction uh, in that case, and and the premium right now is similar to uh, what it was back then, like the three four percent. Do you guys see any opening? I mean, I know. Larry is like has an obsession with stable coins. I, Robert, you're obviously, you know, as close as an expert as anyone can get. Um, what what is it going to take for a competitor to move in? I'm surprised no one's leaning in on this. You know, Paxos, Gemini, Dollar, True USD to to take advantage of of their sort of floundering, or is the market share just too big? Uh, I think the latter. Mark share is just is just huge. I mean, um, if you, what, what is the volume of Tether now? I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure, but if you uh, if you look at it, it's, it's just such a large part of mm-hmm. the the whole ecosystem. I also think what you're forgetting is that uh, all of these other options that you mentioned they're mostly regulated stablecoins. Uh, so that means that you know there's some sort of requirement 
requirements that they have. For example, they have to freeze uh, they have to freeze the money at some point if if you know there's a risky transaction or if something is flagged. Uh, the really one of the biggest advantages of Tether is that there is very lenient KYC, uh, which means that you know it doesn't really get frozen. Uh, so uh, a lot of traders would prefer that because if, if there's an issue that that pops up with Gemini Dollar or Paxos, which has happened before, uh, the money gets frozen, and it takes you know from days to weeks to resolve that issue. So some traders some traders would just prefer the certainty of having a stable coin that has a little bit more lenient KYC. And then there is uh, more kind of reassurance that you actually get to trade the money without any uh, problems. Yeah. And that's an interesting point, right? And and Robert, step in if I'm wrong on this, but my understanding of the uh, New York Attorney General's report and, and uh, is the fact that they're not trying to say to Bitfinex, all right, you guys have your lenient KYC, you're you're, uh, you know, allowing traders from, you know, different parts of the world to engage with your your exchange and with your stablecoin. They don't want to get involved in that. They're they're perfectly fine. It's simply the fact of this line of credit, the commingling of funds, and that New York market participants were on the platform and using Tether. That's the issue. They don't, you know, if they're engaging with other parts of the world, the New York AG's office isn't going to care. And it kind of goes back to Larry's point about why aren't other regulators paying attention to this? And maybe they will, maybe they won't. So if you, uh, uh, the New York State uh, Attorney General's office, they say they have jurisdiction because they, according to their information, they're also New York-based uh, traders that have money on Bitfinex or with Tether, uh, either of the two. Um, so therefore, they're they're stepping in now and they're saying, "Hey, stop drawing from this line of credit." Um, so on the second part, why do other regulators not step in? Uh, I'm still I'm I'm a bit puzzled as well, but uh, it could be that they're already looking into this and we haven't seen it uh, go public yet. Uh, or it could be that this lawsuit will now initiate some kind of action. Interesting. Do you think other um, regulators are going to step in, Larry? I, I honestly am puzzled as well. So I'm, I'm not sure why they haven't yet. Uh, I, I think they could, though. And then, like Robert said, they'll cer- certainly be paying more attention now. Uh, so I think, you know, when people say that, you know, this lawsuit, that, that's it, you know, it's, it's just this. I really don't believe so. I think, uh, you know, it's just opening uh, a huge can of worms. And now, you know, there'll, there'll be much more supervision and everyone will just be paying much more attention. Uh, so what they, what Tether actually used to do before is that they, you know, whenever there was criticism, they would say, oh, th- this is just a conspiracy theory. Uh, we're 100% backed. Uh, now that argument is no longer that easy to make. Uh, when we know that they're not, uh, so it's it's not as easy to kind of discard the criticism anymore. Yeah, and if you think about it, uh, they only changed this uh, uh, their their policy or their terms of service that uh, all the Tether tokens would be back by one dollar a few days before this line of credit closed, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, by then, they had already transferred uh, like three or four months before that, they had already transferred the dollar from Tether to Bitfinex. So the argument that they will make here is that well, but the, the dollars uh, were still there. They were just in Tether's account at Crypto Capital, which we know they could not access. So this becomes sort of an argument like, uh, yeah, in the books, the dollars were sort of there. But in practice, 
they were not. So that that's sort of the where you end up uh, on that part. I think that with any sort of blockbuster, you know, whether it's a hack or a lawsuit, there are going to be multitude myriad of bad takes out there in response to the news. Uh, this one can go to Larry as well. Uh, and then you, Robert, of course, what's the worst take that you've seen out of this whole debacle and, and these, (laughs) these shenanigans. (laughs) I really thought, uh, I'm not going to point out anything specific, no names, uh, (laughs) no names, no names. But what I found really funny was how people compare, you know, the fractional banking to Tether and kind of like rationalize that everything is okay because the banks only have, you know, 10% of cash reserves at hand. Uh, so Tether has 74%. So therefore it's so much better because they have more money, they have more backing. Uh, so that to me is completely ridiculous, right? Because uh, fractional banking of course happens, it's disclosed, it's regulated. Everyone knows about it. The issue with Tether was that you know, they clearly lied about being back 100%. And then, you know, when they, they changed it and now everyone thinks that's fine as well. So that that's, I think, was one of the worst takes when people just compare that to uh, traditional banking and fractional banking. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with Larry on this one because uh, that was the immediate thing I, I follow as well. And um, the funny thing is that... Uh, in response to the lawsuit by the New York Attorney General's office, uh, the the counsel for Bitfinex and Tether made the same argument. Like, hey, we still have 74%. Um, the funny thing about that is that the, the, the judge basically, in response to that, says, like, I see your argument and it makes sense to me, but at the same time, you're not regulated. You're not a bank. So the, basically, the judge uh, slapped it down uh, that, yeah, the fractional reserve uh, argument in a few sentences so yeah that one was definitely interesting what else guys what 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 should we hit well we haven't talked yet about this uh this uh reginald fowler yes and how that's uh, related (laughs) i remember i remember when i um what was he on the he worked for the minnesota vikings or no he was a co-owner co-owner minority owner yeah, he tried to become the the um, majority owner, but that failed, and then he became a minority owner. And so he's involved in this because he he was an employee of Crypto Capital. Well, no, he's he's associated with Crypto Capital. Uh, as far as we know, he's not employed by Crypto Capital or anything. Uh, he came sort of on the scene in uh, in February of 2018. That's when he incorporated uh, this global trading solutions in the LLC. Uh, which is uh, a Colorado-based uh, uh, company, and um, yeah, if you look at the the bank accounts that were listed on Bitfinex as their like uh, deposit address for fiat, um, from May to October, listed various accounts in control of that company. That's so we know that uh, you can also see it in the reporting. That this was, uh, for example, Citibank, uh, a bank called Enterprise Bank and Trust, mm-hmm. which is a little bit smaller bank, and then uh, HSBC, for example, the one that Larry reported on uh, in the, uh, later last year. Um, so that's that's one side of it. But at the same time, in our reporting, we also uh, uh, obtained some wire details, and then uh, we saw that people were receiving money in. Also, like early 2018, so around the same time, this Fowler incorporated the American company from companies in Portugal. So then we started looking uh, at the 
these companies uh, in the public registry, all of a sudden you find the same name, Reginald Fowler. So it looks like he came onto the scene around then and then uh, and really uh, contributed to how crypto capital was operating. Whether or not he's really part of it or that he was sort of, and to me, it's, it, this, this American company has been described as an agent of crypto capital. So what that would exactly mean is not 100% clear to me, but I would expect some kind of surface level agreement between them in that case. But um, it's for sure 100% linked to what they were doing, right? It was only, as far as I uh, I know, it was, it was only operating with crypto capital on this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what's going to happen to this guy? Well, he's charged with uh, bank fraud, conspiracy to do so, uh, running an unlicensed money uh, transmitting service uh, and the conspiracy to do so. And I believe already on the bank fraud, it's a maximum of 30 year sentence. Um, so one... He's wrecked. Think, well, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty wrecked. <laughs> um, probably won't get 30 years though, at least not on the single charge. I don't know how that would end up. I'm not a lawyer. Um then if he uh, provides some kind of relevant information, there might be a reduced sentence. Uh, and we know from the indictment that there are people associated with him, which so far are still on the loose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the co-conspirator is at large, uh, Rafi Joseph, for example. She's actually right here, a special guest appearance. Oh, But now, could you imagine? That would be, that would be exciting. <laughs> I would have some questions. <laughs> <laughs> what would your questions be? Um, first of all, um, uh, what's your uh, brother's name? Because <laughs> we have a very strong suggestion that it's uh, that she's the sister of uh, Oz uh, Joseph, which would be the Oz that's also mentioned in the New York Attorney General's Office documents, or we think so. It's fairly sure. Because um, there are chat logs, right, between mm-hmm. uh, Bitfinex and Crypto Capital Executives, and uh, the Crypto Capital Executive is re- referenced to as Oz. So that will be the first question, probably. But the, the next I would really be interested, like, what were you doing? Apparently, you, were, uh, you are a relationship coach. <laughs> what are you doing with, in relation to, like, bank fraud? <laughs> yeah. What would you ask, Larry? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are, you know, it's pretty funny if, if you actually search for her website. She has, you know, a lot of videos about coaching about relationships. And then you find out that she's basically been laundering money. You kind of like start a question, right? Like how many of people like that actually are doing that? And how do you even get involved? Yeah, well, it makes you question whether or not she was doing a good job at giving relationship advice. <laughs> <laughs> Some people can take whatever they can get. <laughs> like yours truly maybe money laundering is a good uh, good uh, uh, couples counseling yeah yeah I, no with I, all seriousness it's it's just odd right it's uh, it's weird yeah um so i guess going back to to you personally robert what's next like what what is the next scoop you're you're hunting you know uh what Peel back the uh, onion for us and let us into your world. What are you? What are you digging into? What's on your desk? Um, so on this topic, mostly, um, if you look at the the money, right, eight hundred fifty million dollars. So one of the things that I, I that really started this was this were these rumors in Poland 
right, there were rumors that money had been seized in relation to Bitfinex. This, this, came, this came out, I think, in April last year, so over a year ago. Um, so one of the things I started looking at back then, so could it be true or not? Um, how, can I, how, can, how can we prove this uh, or disprove it, right? Mm -hmm. It's a um, so uh, go into go into it as an investigative journalist. So see if it's true. So one of the things that uh, that that I had at the time was uh, was a theory that it that it happened earlier in January. This this uh, seizure of money, uh, and that was based on a few things. Like there were there were uh, issues with withdrawals at Bitfinex. There were delays, and um, they suddenly changed to an IG account, which made some customers very furious. Um, and then they switched back to crypto capital account uh, like 10 days later. But the IG account, as far as we know, was not uh, linked to crypto capital or not operated by them. Mm -hmm. So that was an odd move only for 10 days to have sort of a bridge measure. And it's sort of, why would you do that? Is, is that maybe that there is an account that no longer functions all of a sudden? Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, and that sort of started the question uh, for me. It's like, okay, if this is true, how can I prove it? But also... If there's money seized, how many of it is actually related to Bitfinex? Is it their money? Is it also their customers' money? Especially that's the relevant question now. So going forward, this question, uh, the question for me, me mostly, it's like, okay, where is the money? Follow the money is always a good question, right, for the for a journalist. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Follow the money. That's your that's your tip. Yeah. Money and and like wire details, money tra money trails, they don't lie. Mm -hmm. If it's in black and white, then you can then you can follow up. I actually have one more question for Robert. So so let's say that you know this IEO works and they recover the money uh, and uh, you know eventually maybe the money gets unfrozen and they start functioning again. Um, you know like what's the precedent now to actually provide them with banking, knowing you know what happened? Uh, like is there a scenario where they actually recover the money and can establish functional banking relationship after all this happened? <sighs> That's a tricky question to answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you just logical thinking would say no, right? I mean, um, first of all, will they get all the money back? We'll, we'll have to see. We know that some of it has been seized. We also have indication that some of it is at least out of reach from authorities, so also out of reach from Bitfinex. Um, so that's one. Then um, to establish like uh, banking, well, for sure it's not going to help them, um, obviously. But whether or not it's uh, it will it will stop them from getting it at all. I mean, it might we might end up with the situation. Um, okay, okay. Let's take one step back. Sorry. If you look at, uh, at what the situation now, they have all the incentive in the world to get this 850 million back, right? So I don't know if they're like skeletons in the closet that they do not want to disclose to, to authorities, that that's why they might not be complying with subpoenas, but they have every incentive to cooperate in order to get this money back and get it unfrozen. So maybe they will actually change their, their approach change their uh, become a little bit more transparent become more cooperating with regulators and it might work out but in general I would say this is not going to help them uh, achieve a stable banking relationship going forward no that's great Robert thank you so much for coming on and, and good luck hunting for new scoops out there out of Bitfinex and Tether and 
We're, we hope it will find its way onto our site at theblockcrypto.com. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thanks, Frank. We'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Cash App. Cash App has been the number one in finance on the App Store for almost two years. It was the first major peer-to-peer payments app to support Bitcoin, and it's still the fastest and easiest way to on-ramp fiat. No more waiting five days for your ACH transfer to come through. With Cash App, you can buy Bitcoin instantly. When you're ready to take full ownership of your private keys, just use Cash App to scan an external wallet's QR code. It's really that simple. Cash App also comes with standard banking features like direct deposits and others your bank would never even consider, like Cash Card, a customizable debit card that lets you instantly save every time you use it at Lyft, Whole Foods, Chipotle, Chick-fil-A, Starbucks, Dunkin', local coffee shops, and a whole lot more. Download Cash App today from the App Store or Google Play, and thanks for listening.